Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you this morning. Our key scripture this morning comes from John chapter 15. So if you'd like to open up there, you are welcome to. Uh, I will be reading it here for you this morning. It's a real pick-me-up to start our service today. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. If the world hates you, right, we're off to a good start. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen. And yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. So this is Jesus giving a pep talk to his followers who are going to be going out and telling other people about the coming kingdom of God and about all that Jesus wants to do for them. And Jesus uses really strong language in this passage. But he needed to use such language because the disciples had to fully understand the situation that they were in. So let's break it down here for a second. The world, Jesus says, hates him. Now, while many followed him, there were just as many and more who did not like what Jesus was all about. They didn't like the people he spent time with. They didn't like the things he said. They didn't like what he was asking them to do. They did not like Jesus. Now, Jesus was here doing the work of his father. And so Jesus says, you know, if they hate me, they hate the father as well. There is no good reason for this hate. If they had listened and and seen all these things that were going on around them, there was no good reason They had all the proof that they needed to know that what Jesus was doing was from God and from no one else, but they hated him anyway. If the world hated me, Jesus said, then the world will hate you as well. Do not expect the world to love you and throw parades in your honor because you know the truth of Jesus and you're going to tell them about it. Instead, expect the world, those outside of the kingdom of God, those who do not know him, to be resistant to the things that you are going to say to them. But why is this? I mean, this is the question that we as Christians always ask, right? But God loves you, but Jesus died for you, and yet people are still going to despise that message. They're not going to want to hear it. My son Zeke is 12 years old. He's in sixth grade. And just this week, uh, someone came up to him and asked him to tell them a Bible story, David and Goliath. So he told them the Bible story. And they started, when he got through the end of it, they said, no, you're wrong. And you go to church. And shouldn't you know this? And so Zeke got home that day and we were trying to do some, some stuff for the Bible program he was going to that night, and he was so upset, and I couldn't figure out why, and he's just so upset. And finally, he comes into the kitchen, and, and you know, he tells me a little bit about what happened. And then he tells me a little bit more. And then it got down to the bottom of what the real problem was. For the first time in his life, Zeke had experienced someone who made him feel like he was stupid for believing something. And furthermore, he, and, he, and he just broke down at this point. He said it felt like they were calling my life 
and his mom's life into question. The world is resistant to the truth about God because in order to accept this truth, the world would have to change the way it sees itself and the world does not want to do that. The world will not admit failure. It will not admit that it is a broken place. It will not admit its faults. It will not say that there is more than it has to offer because it believes it is all there is to offer and that there is nothing better than the kingdom of this place. The gospel of Jesus calls on the world to recognize that its way only leads to destruction and that God's way is the only way to life. And we, as Christians, would like to think that introducing the gospel to others would bring peace and harmony to the world. We would be wrong in thinking that. We think it is a terrible thing when someone is persecuted for his or her faith. That something like that should never ever happen in today's world. We would be wrong for thinking that. We think that if we present the gospel to others, that they should be receptive and kind because it is the truth of God. And sometimes they are, but often they are not. And it is not a shame that this is how it is. This is, according to Jesus, reality. We live in a world that is not only hostile to God, but hates Him. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't tell His disciples all of this because He wanted them to be intimidated and afraid. He told them all of this because He wanted them to realize that when they went out in His name, they were going to face resistance. And people were going to tell them that they didn't know what they were talking about. And that they were stupid for believing in this resurrected Lord. That they didn't really see the things they saw or hear the things that they said. It would not be easy to go out. While some hearts would be open and receptive, others would be shut off. But Jesus tells them that they still must go. They still must go. And then he adds this to the end. When the advocate comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. What does Jesus promise them? The Spirit of God will be with you as you go out, and he will speak. They must go because they know the truth. And through the Holy Spirit, God would give them all the help they need. Because church, though others may not want it, it doesn't mean they don't need it. And the truth of God does not hide nor cower in a corner. It is made plain to all. Um, something that is coming, and I, I had hoped it would be ready today, but for some reason uh, I goofed up or something went wrong. Um, but we are going to have available to you um, notes that you can use during the sermon if you have a smartphone or an iPad that you want to bring with you. So there is a program that I am uh, that you should download between now and next Sunday. It's a Bible program called U Version Y O U version and um, every Sunday there will be uh, you can use the app and you will have information there about what's going on in the service all the scriptures we're using and all those things I again I I tried to have it available this morning and something went goofy Uh, the other nice thing about it is that you will be able to access it throughout the rest of the week either on your phone or on a computer from your house so uh, which will help you uh, go back over the things that we've talked about and uh, it's a really cool thing, uh, and I will have more information for you in the bulletin next week about how to use it. Or if you, uh, particularly for this morning, some of you may want notes and things from this morning. And if you do, just come up and talk to me uh, afterwards and let me know that you would like more information about what we've talked about today. What was that again? It's called Version. Y-O-U. And it's actually a, it's a, it's a Bible app that a lot of people probably already have. It's a very common one that's used. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give you instructions next week in terms of how to access it, and uh, hopefully I will...
do whatever better than I did this week to actually have it be available. Um, so, it's an exciting time in our church. It really, it is. And, and for those of you that have been here with us over the past several weeks, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for uh, the way that you have uh, given feedback and um, the way that you've engaged the messages and everything that's going on. Uh, it's, I hope that you are getting as excited as I am about where our church is headed and what we're going to be doing. And it all starts with our vision statement, as Randy uh, mentioned this morning. We believe that the love of God in Jesus changes, church, everything. We want to be a church that is all about transformation, the transformation that the love of God in Jesus brings to every aspect of who we are. I believe that God changes everything about me and that God will continue to change those things. And so we've identified some values that we think will help us uphold this vision. Uh, the first value was belong. Jesus changes the way we experience community. We are a family that accepts people as they are. Our family looks out for one another and encourages each other to be more like Jesus every day. We take responsibility for one another and strive to help each other know the love of Jesus in all of life's ups and downs. And I've made the point several times that a community that is formed by Jesus should be drastically different than any other community we can be a part of. And today we have the benefit of getting to live some of that out. Uh, this week as we joined around the Machado family, this morning as we joined around Wayne and Jerry. That is what community, one of the great things about community, holding each other up before God. The second value is grow. Jesus changes the way we see ourselves. Who are we? We are imperfect people. In every moment, in everything we do, we need the love and grace of God that is found only in Jesus. This need defines us, but it does not discourage us. There is always something better in Jesus, and we want to continually grow into that something. We are perpetually becoming what it is that God wants us to become. And we believe that whatever change God has for us is not a bad thing, but it is the best of things. The third value is give, and we talked about this just last week. Jesus changes the way that we respond to others. Jesus saw people and loved them in a dynamic and passionate way, no matter who they were, no matter where they were. He responded to what he saw. We want our eyes to be open so that we can love people in that same way. In that same way. And we talked about how one of the primary characteristics of God is that God is a compassionate God. And I want to bring up again to you the definition of the word compassion. A feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate their suffering. And so we see the process that God went through and that Jesus went through. God, his heart was moved by our condition, by the things that we could not change. And then he didn't just acknowledge it and do nothing. He did something to change the situation we were in. Jesus is the embodiment of God's compassion for us and he had great compassion on everyone he encountered. And so if we are going to see people like Jesus did and respond in the way that Jesus did, we have to do some things. Number one, Jesus saw people right where they were. He paid attention. He didn't overlook anyone. Our eyes have to be open in the same way. Number two, he recognized the condition that people were in. It wasn't just that they were hungry or needed clothes. They were hurting or lost or lonely or afraid or rejected or sick or marginalized. And he recognized these things about them. And thirdly, his heart felt deep sympathy for them. It was a movement inside of him. And then he did something about what they were experiencing. And we talked about how God has given us so much. God has given us so much. If we see ourselves differently, as we talk about in the Grow Value, we recognize how much we need Jesus and how much God has given us. And it's from this place, when our heart is moved, that we will speak into each other's lives. So I want to dig into this a little bit deeper, though, today. 
how do we understand the needs of the people that we come into contact with every day? I mean, Jesus had the benefit of being able to look at someone and know what hospital they were born in, who, who the nurse was that helped them, what they had for lunch that day. I mean, Jesus had the insight to be able to know who someone was and what they needed. But what about us? How do we have that same insight that Jesus had? Is it even possible for us? How do we understand the needs of the people that we come into contact each and every come into contact with each and every day? Well, as we talked about last week, those who are in relationship with Jesus should be people that respond to the needs that they see. Okay? Uh, we read this passage from Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. So as we talked about, there is a clear expectation here that if you are a child of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, what will you do? You will respond to the needs of those that you encounter and see. So without a doubt, we are supposed to meet those needs that Jesus talked about there. But here's the thing. I love this passage, and I think it's really great. And last week, we, we, we talked about how we have a lot more to offer. But if our eyes are open to recognize what is going on around us, it can be easy for us as Christians to identify the obvious needs and meet those. Someone is hungry. What do we do? We feed them. Someone needs a jacket for winter. What do we do? We give them a jacket. We have people that come to us for those things. We don't even have to go find them. It is a much more simple thing to give help to someone who wants help, right? And if we can identify those surface needs, sometimes it's enough for us to live in that space. But that doesn't really encompass who we see every day, does it? I mean, you see people in need, you recognize those needs, but if we think about it, we come in contact with a lot of people every day who don't need food, clothes, or something to drink. They don't appear to need a visit of any kind, encouragement, or any help from us at all. In fact, I would say and maybe disagree with me here if you want, in general, we see a lot of people every single day that don't seem needy at all. They have good jobs, they have nice homes, they have a good family, they have whatever it is, and it seems like all of their needs are being met. We are surrounded by people every day who live their lives and go about their business just like we do. Think about this for a second. When you go to the grocery store, usually you go to the grocery store at least once a week, right? You are in a room with roughly how many people? <laughs> Too many. How many of you go to Costco? You are in a really big room with a whole lot of people. And what are all these people doing? Eating. Eating. <laughs> Buying buying bulk Q-tips, right? They are, all of us are in this room together, right? We're in this huge open space and we're just circling around one another. 
trying to stay out of people's way, trying to get the samples before they're all gone, right? And what do we notice about other people? Ooh, they've got two carts. Hey, where did they get that salmon? Right? Oh, I didn't know they had those shoes. What do we notice about the people themselves? Not a lot. This is life, isn't it? I mean, we rotate around a whole bunch of different people every day that we don't pay a whole lot of attention to. So here's the question that I want us to think about this morning. How does our understanding of people's needs change when we experience the love of Jesus? I want you to know something this morning. I want you to feel something this morning. Because you already know it. But this knowledge that you have has to shift from your brain to your heart. Because this knowledge, it lives in our brains. Everyone, no matter who they are, no matter how much their lives are together, no matter how successful they are, no matter what their family looks like, everyone in the world needs what Jesus has to offer them, and there is no exception. There is no exception. We know this, don't we? But do we feel it? This is our fourth uh, and last core value this morning. Go. Jesus changes our understanding of what others really need. We believe that Jesus matters. He matters not only to those who believe in him, but also to those who don't. The world is lost without Jesus and those who know his life and as those who know his life-changing love, we must go and tell others about his love for them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is the verse that we have chosen to help support this idea. And it's one that we've gone over multiple times because it's so applicable to everything that we've been talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. For Christ's love, what? Compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard who? No one from a worldly point of view. Christians? No, 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 no. No one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We've talked about this passage. I've told you how much I love it. But this is the simple truth about it. If you have really experienced the life-changing love of Jesus, then you will be compelled to go out and tell others about this love. Meaning that you cannot stop yourself from doing it. You cannot stop yourself from doing it. This is not a reasoned argument. It's not a strategy. It's not a method. Instead, it is the movement of your heart. It is undeniable. You couldn't stop it if you wanted to, and why on earth would you want to? We do not live for ourselves, but we live for Him who has loved us and changed us. And we see others, not from an earthly point of view, Anymore, because God has changed how we understand ourselves and the world. And when we see others who do not know the love of God in Jesus, we must, church, we must do something about it. So, what do we do? We go. Now, 
I'm just giving you a warning. I already told Lisa I brought out the red folder for this sermon, which I don't do very often. The red folder is a sign of trouble. So I'm going to speak very directly about this. You don't have to agree with me, although you would be wrong if you don't. You don't have to agree with me, and maybe you don't identify with some of the things that I will say this morning. I know that what I'm going to say is hard, but I think it needs to be. So, here we go. The act of going was pretty important to Jesus. This is no secret. A lot of us know this, but in the Gospel of Matthew, the last words that he spoke to his disciples were words of sending. He was sending them out and he was expecting them to do what? To go. From Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The disciples of Jesus Christ are supposed to do what? They are supposed to go. Go is going to be the answer to a lot of questions today. I'm just giving you a heads up. Jesus would be the second answer. They are to go into all the world making disciples, other followers of Jesus. So I want to ask you this question, but I don't want you to answer it right now because we're going to come back to it later. Are you a disciple of Jesus if you don't go? Are you a disciple of Jesus if you don't go? I want you to wrestle with it, with that question. Now, Jesus said that his disciples are to teach others to obey everything that he had commanded them. And I think, in part, this verse has formed a little bit of our approach to going. Because, uh, Bonnie, could you go back to that verse? There it is. So we see these words, go and make disciples, which we understand as being followers of Jesus, baptizing them, which is a commitment from them, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so I am guilty of this, or I have been guilty of this, that when I look at this, I start to build a strategy in terms of what I should do with people if I'm going to go. And that strategy is centered around, I have to teach them to obey Jesus. And when I, if I'm going to go out and teach someone to obey Jesus, what kinds of things am I going to teach? Jesus' commands. I'll go to the commands. And I'll talk about how these are the things that we need to stop doing. These are the things we should do. This is what a Christian looks like. These are the kind of activities that they engage in. But here's the thing. I think I've had that all wrong whenever my tendency has, has been to drift that direction. If you were to go back and evaluate the commands of Jesus, what would they be? Jesus taught about righteousness and honoring God. He took the law to deeper depths than anyone had understood before. But if we look at the teachings of Jesus, Jesus taught people about a God who was not petty or calculating. The God that Jesus talked about was desperately in love with his children. He wanted to forgive them, heal them, protect them, provide for all their needs and draw them close in all different situations. The God that Jesus spoke about was not as much a judge as he was a father, a good father. The God that Jesus spoke about the importance of loving one another and changing the way that we treat those around us. Jesus taught about taking care of one another and having a true sense of community. Jesus taught about how he would lay his very life down as an expression of the Father's never-ending love and compassion. What did Jesus teach? 
He didn't just give us rules to follow. He gave us a new life to live. And a way to live it that would fulfill us in a way we could never have on our own or through our own doing. And this church is what he expects us to go out and share with others. A disciple of Jesus, those standing around him that day, they knew two things above everything else. The crucified Savior and the resurrected Lord. It is this, above a lot of other things that we want to put as important, that we must go and share. I'm not saying we shouldn't talk to anyone about morality. I'm not saying that. But that is not where this thing starts. So that's pretty straightforward, right? A a loving God, His crucified Son, the risen Lord. And yet, we have a lot of trouble going. It is not the easiest thing for us to do. So, some of you may be more comfortable with it than others. So, what are the things that keep us from going? Okay? Well, I, I want to suggest two things. The first one is this. We are not always as convinced as we need to be that those around us really need Jesus. We do not see them as people in need. I know it's a harsh thing to say, But I know it is true of me. And when I do not see them as people in need of something that is life-saving, I have no sense of urgency to tell them about it. I can just let it go. And listen, I, I know all the reasons why we don't go, why we wait. I even know what we are waiting for. We don't have to go. And I'm assuming that we all have the best of intentions. Okay? I know we feel these things, these things as we're processing, how do we go and why am I not going? And I I know we feel all these things, but I can't help but feel like all of these things that that keep us from going are, are things that we're really using to cover up what is at the bottom of this. Which is... If someone appears to not need Jesus, then we don't offer Jesus. And we don't have any urgency. And I wonder if things would be different for me or for us if I stopped seeing those without Jesus as being okay and started feeling in my heart, not in my head, because my head already knows, but in my heart, that what these people need more than anything else is the love of God and Jesus Christ. And that no matter what I do, this is the greatest thing I could give to them. And then that I would just be heartbroken if I didn't somehow offer them the love of God that is in Jesus. The love of God compels us to go. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Remember from last week we said we need to see people as Jesus did. And he recognized their needs, but it went beyond the physical. And this is a great example of how Jesus saw other people. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
Now, we've focused on 37 and 38 a lot in some of our Bible studies, but we need to read that part before it. How did Jesus see people? He saw them as lost, unprotected, and uncared for. They were like sheep without a shepherd, which means their real need was not healing or food or something else. What was it? They needed his father. That is what they needed more than anything else. His heart was moved for them because he saw this and so he acted on it. Not just feeding and healing and clothing, but introducing people to the love of God that he himself embodied. But then he follows it up with this statement, the one that we know. There are not enough people going. The opportunity is there. People are lost everywhere. People are without God everywhere. But not enough people are going. So pray to God that people will start to go and share who God is. If our hearts are not truly moved and if we don't see people as being in need then we will wait. But Jesus knew that this need could not wait. Leads us to our second problem, which you guys probably recognize right away. I heard somebody say it. We are, in general, a little bit afraid to go. Uh, We are afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of saying the wrong thing. Our fears mount one on top of another because... Let's be, let's be straight, going feels unsafe. There is something risky about it. I get that. I really do. It's my job to teach people about God. I am a professional Christian. And I know how hard it is. But deep down, I think there is potentially a selfish reason that is keeping me from going. And that is, if we're going to go, we want to be the expert on this thing. And I don't want to be caught not knowing the answer to something. Now, I know, again, this is an awful thing to say about us. Maybe it's not true about you. But I want you to consider this. When we talk about going, what is one of the top reasons why we decide to wait? I don't know what to say. Friends, we're in this together. All these feelings are real. This fear is real. And as I told you earlier this morning, Zeke experienced it this week. He experienced it this week. And he's going to keep experiencing it. If we are going to go, we want to do it right. And we want to do it right for God. But that fear can keep us immobilized. Because when will we ever really know enough? And sure enough, you go and talk to someone and they have read, you know whatever philosopher or physicist or and they bring out some obscure thing that you have never heard of before in your life. And what do you think? I knew I wasn't ready. I knew I wasn't ready. We want to do it right, but it, it leads me to a conclusion. Maybe we are confused about what going actually looks like. So... If we can change our perception of what going actually looks like, then maybe we won't be so worried about going. In fact, maybe we'll be, dare I say it, easy. We have turned going into a time-sensitive exercise that is completely results-oriented. Now, Bryce, didn't you just say we need to feel some urgency? Yes, absolutely, but we need to feel the right kind of urgency. Our urgency is for them to come to know the love of God. Our, our urgency is not to prove something. 
Here's what I mean. We want to be ready because we believe that when we finally talk to someone about Jesus, we need to say all of the right things so they will accept him in whatever amount of time we are giving ourselves. And that amount of time is arbitrary. Could be 10 minutes. Could be 30 minutes. It could be a week. But we expect results. Because this is how we have measured whether we are successful in going or not. You talk to this person about Jesus, do they now believe? And if they don't, you have failed. And I was struck by this as I was preparing this week. When I think that way, what I'm doing is not about God or about the other person, it's about me. And I cannot fathom the arrogance it takes to think that by spending five minutes with me, someone will decide to change their life forever. I mean, I'm good. But really? (laughs) Going should not be a bottom line business. And I should not ask myself how I can convince someone to follow Jesus. Okay, so if that's true, then what does going, or what should going look like? If it's not going to be that anymore, then what does it look like? Well, let's backtrack a second. Let's return back to the roots. We go because we have experienced the love of God in Jesus, and we have been changed by it. We go because when we look at people, we feel compassion for them because they don't know the love of God in Jesus and they are living without that love and forgiveness and grace and freedom. And if I have identified with my own salvation, guys, I'm a loser. I'm a wreck. I fail all the time. If I've identified with that, that I do all these things and God loves me and overcomes for me, and I know that someone else is living without that, then my goal becomes this when I go. How do I demonstrate the love that God has for this person in a way that will touch his or her heart? That's all I want. I want to demonstrate the love of God in Jesus in a way that will touch this person's heart. I don't know if I have ever explicitly made that my main objective when I've been called to have a Bible study with someone or called to go visit someone, or had a conversation with someone in a parking lot. But it's not about being right or proving someone wrong. I mean, you know, Philippians tells us that at the end of time, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. It's going to happen. But it's not about being right or proving someone wrong. It's about showing someone that the love of God actually does change lives. It makes things different. Which reminds me, the thing is, we always have something to say to anyone who does not know Jesus. We do. We always have something to say to anyone who does not know Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has changed our lives. Jesus has changed you. He has changed me. And even as an adult Christian who has done things and been in church all, I am still changing. And God broke me down completely to change me more. We are all still changing. And it is this story that is the starting point for showing someone how much God loves them. What God has done for you. How the love of God has changed your life. You are a testimony to the fact that God's love changes things. Amen? You are a testimony to that. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. 
We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You have been given the ministry of reconciliation for one very simple reason. You have been reconciled. So you know how it works. You know how it works. And your job then is to go out and tell other people, I have been reconciled. Let me tell you about how this worked. Let me tell you about what God did in me. You can tell people of the love of God in Jesus because you know the love of God in Jesus. That is the story that you have to tell no matter who it is, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. So let's go back to that question. Are you a disciple of Jesus if you don't go? Now, I don't think it's my job to answer that question definitively, but I do want to say this. If we do not go... We are acting as if our lives have not really been changed by Jesus. At the very least, we're not appreciating it as much as we should. And if we don't think that everyone needs Jesus, then we have not come to grips with what Jesus has done for us, and we have made Jesus, this is the hard part, but I think it's so true, we have made Jesus irrelevant for this reason. Either everybody needs Jesus or nobody does. But there's no in-between. Either Jesus is the Savior of the world or he is not. Either everyone is lost to sin and death and needs a Savior or Jesus is a lie. Okay. Closed a lot of mental loops this morning. A lot of doors have been locked. But I still want to be ready. Right? I do. I still want to be ready. So, how do I get ready? If you have, uh, this might be where you want to take notes. If you have, uh, there's paper in front of you, a pen, or if you just want to pretend you're taking notes, that's okay too. Number one, you need to realize that you cannot make someone come to know the love of Jesus. You cannot make them. You cannot strong-arm them. You cannot force someone to see that they need him. What did we say earlier in the introduction? The world is hostile to God. It hates him. And it's not going to want what he has to offer. There are many who do not want him and do not want you to tell them about Jesus. And if you've been in those conversations before, you know, are you saying there's something wrong with me? Well, yes, but let me tell you about what's wrong with me first. It is God that is going to change hearts and not you. He's the only one that can change hearts. Number two, realize that the role you play in this thing may just be the starting point for someone. You don't have to finish the race. In fact, someone else may have that job. Okay? What you do or say may be just the seed that's planted that God will make grow. Number three, pray that God will move your heart for those who don't know Jesus. Ask for greater compassion, ask to be compelled. Number four, Ask for wisdom from God and help from the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something um, that may be the most, you know, we need our hearts to be moved, we need these things, but we need to ask God for help with this. Um, Pray that as you go, you will encounter open hearts. Pray that you will know an open heart when you see it. Right? Right? God will give us what we need, but we need sometimes to ask him for it. And and let's be more specific sometimes in what we need. So pray for the specific people that God has put on your heart. Pray that God will bring the right, this is a good one, that God will bring the right person into their lives, even if it's not you. 
Pray that God will give you an opportunity to show His love and that your eyes will see the opportunity. And this, I believe in this one. Well, I believe in all of them. But pray that God will give you the words when you need them. Pray that God will give you the words when you need them. Number five, wait. Number six, listen. Number seven, for the love of God, go. Don't be scared. God is with you. God is, and he will give you what you need. And think about this, church. Just think about this for a second. You have the opportunity every single day to break chains, to set someone free, to introduce them to a love that they have never known before, to help them overcome all their failures, to give someone a new life. You, you could do that. It's been done for you. Amen? Amen? So let's go. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are a good and generous God. And we want to go. We want to tell other people about you. We want to make a difference in this world. We want it with all of our hearts. But God... Satan puts things in our way to keep us from going. He makes us afraid. He makes us think we don't know what we need to know. He convinces us that we aren't the right person. God, I pray that you would put in all of our hearts this morning the deep knowledge, the deep knowledge that because our lives have been changed by you, then we have what we need to share your love with others. So God, where we need to, help us to get in touch with that again. Where we have forgotten, remind us. Remind us of your love which has changed us. And then, Father, would you compel us to go and to begin to share that with others. That we might break chains, offer freedom, give love and introduce someone to a God who sacrificed His own Son that they might know Him. There is no God like You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have any needs for prayers or encouragement this morning or you want to know this God who does love you in this way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing together.